Lindsay, the uh, Stop the Wall Coalition was established uh, in wake of the 9-11 attack in 2001 with the clear notion that uh, you know, war was coming in Afghanistan and Iraq, as, 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 as it turned out. In the wake of what some people are calling Israel's 9-11, certainly Joe Biden has said it's like 10 9-11s, um, and Biden has also said uh, in a primetime address to, to uh, the US um, that he's linking Hamas with Putin, almost like a new war and terror rhetoric. To what extent is this situation now comparable with that time when you when you initially launched Stop the War? Do you see comparisons between the response of the United States and Israel to what happened and uh, today and, and, and back then? I think there's very, very clear comparisons with 9-11 uh, back in 2001. And if you remember then, George Bush, who was the US president then, said that you're either with the terrorists or you're with us. Mm. So you have to be... You have to be with us, and everybody signed up to that. All the so-called international community, nearly all the countries of the world signed up to that, including Russia at the time. And um, they're trying to do this again. Now, the problem that they have in 2023 is that we've got the experience of the war on terror, and we've seen 22 years of what it has done. We've also seen a situation where for the Palestinians in particular, things have got much, much worse over those past 22 years. So I think what you're getting is both, it's both a similar reaction, but it's also a continuity from what we saw in 2001. So we had the invasion of Afghanistan, we had the invasion of Iraq and the occupation of Iraq. We had the um, bombing of Libya and regime change in Libya. We had Western intervention in Syria, which is still continuing on some, on some scale. So all of that has happened. All of the things that have gone on, that have happened, the, the talk about the axis of evil, the still, the sanctions on countries like Iran. So what you're now looking at is that all that history, all the legacy, which of course many people in this country and around the world recognise and understand, is now beginning to play out in the Middle East again. And when you look at what Israel, um, the whole policy really since the Oslo Accords in the early 90s, but also since Trump went to um, Israel in 2020, we got the Abraham Accords, which was essentially trying to um, normalise relations with all the Arab states, mm. um, the moving of the capital to Jerusalem and the embassy to Jerusalem and all the things that happened then they, in a way, help to pave the way for the present kind of political situation we've got now. And that when you look at it now, of course, that's all bursting apart. The, the normalisation with the Arab states is not happening. The Saudis, who were doing a deal with, the, um, with Israel, that is definitely not happening. And, of course, the catastrophe we see un unravelling every day in Gaza is making it much harder for them to do this. So I think, in many ways, it's, it's going to be... A major change in politics and of course people don't talk about this but there's already a big war going on in Ukraine involving alliances of some of the same countries mm. and, and so on as we're seeing in the Middle East so it's it's going to be bad and it is it, the danger of a big war in the Middle East and further afield I think has never been it's never been more dangerous than it is now. What's your assessment of of the situation in, in, in Gaza in terms of it looks like Netanyahu is, is 
going for a ground invasion at some point soon. There's uh, an incursion uh, already um, into Gaza. Do do you do you see that as as the likely next uh, next step in, in in what's going on? I think Netanyahu, from his own point of view, has got no choice but to do a ground invasion because he's in big trouble if there is a ceasefire and if there is a any sort of settlement. Um, mm. Both because obviously most people in Israel don't want that, but also because they're very critical of him because of his role up to now, mm. and they feel that in many ways he's contributed to some of the, the problems that uh, they've had with the West Bank settlements and all the other things that you're, you're seeing. So I think there will be a ground invasion. It, at the same time, it's clear the Americans are really very scared about what a ground invasion will result in, particularly with Hezbollah, and obviously in relation to Hezbollah, Iran. And of course, people forget that in 2006, there was a war, a Lebanon war, involving mm. Hezbollah and Israel, which essentially, uh, well, let's put it like this, Israel didn't win, and that was a major defeat for them then. Um, since then, Hezbollah's got much stronger militarily. It's been involved in war in Syria for the last decade or so, which means it's got lots of experience in this kind of way. It's a much more powerful opponent to Israel than, than Hamas is, is the, is the truth of the matter. So I think America's very frightened about this and would like it to, you know, they'd like some sort of way of stopping it. But I think it's virtually impossible for them to, to prevent Israel from doing it. And then who knows how that is going to pan out. We know that, that, we know that the Middle East is in boiling point already. There are huge demonstrations. Queen Rania of um, Jordan, who herself is a Palestinian, mm. has been very critical of, of the West over this, which the Jordanian royal family aren't exactly. You know, they're pretty docile when it comes to it comes to Western policy. They're a very integral part of it. Um, we know in Egypt, if lots of the um, Palestinians are pushed into the Sinai Desert, if they open the Rafa crossing and they go into the desert, this is huge problems for... Sisi, the president of mm. Egypt, because, um, you know, he'll have big domestic problems with that because people want to support the Palestinians. He doesn't want them there. It will create a lot of instability for him. And don't forget, he overthrew the previous, uh, mm. Morsi, the previous um, president. So it's going to create huge instability. And we're also seeing in Europe, in America, in, um, in the heartlands of the Western powers... We're seeing very, very big protests about um, about Palestine in support of the Palestinians, and I think it came to a big shock uh, as a big shock to the British government, for example, that here, you know, we had they thought it, this was going to be, you know, there's terrible killings in mm. Israel. They think it's going to be Ukraine Mark Two, so mm. we get the public buildings in the Israeli flag colours and everything. And of course, the reaction is very different, and it's almost like they just can't they can't compute that despite, I'm sure, people feeling really very much sympathy for the Israelis who've been killed and mm. the hostages and so on, but that actually people know that this didn't, as the UN Secretary General said, this didn't start um, mm. with October the 7th, it started long before. So big problems politically, a big shift politically in a way, and that is comparable with, with 9-11, I think, in terms of the shift. Mm. The UK is is one of just a few countries in the world that hasn't that doesn't support a, a ceasefire. Um, Rishi Sunak has said that he wants to see quote pauses, whatever that whatever that means. 
Um, and that seems to be the first dent in his completely unflinching support for for Israel's actions in Gaza. Um, do you do you f see things moving? Do you think the UK is going to have to shift away from completely supporting uh, Netanyahu? Well, yes. Yes and no. I mean, look, the UK, both with Ukraine and now with Israel and uh, the Middle East, is the most belligerent, probably, of all the Western powers. I mean, it's it does what America says, but it's urging on America in all sorts of uh, in all sorts of ways, um, and it wants to have this hard line. It also likes having this hard line because it puts huge pressure on the Labour Party. So mm. to say we're not in favour of a ceasefire, and then we know there's turmoil in Labour over that, um, is to is to force Starmer to, you know, stay further to the stay further to the right. So I think they'll try to continue that. But yeah, it's breaking down. I mean, look, the UN, I mean, the fact that the Israel can say we're going to teach the UN election, a lesson, I mean, what on earth is going on to, to even talk in those terms? The fact that, that most countries in the world do want a, a ceasefire and do think that a ceasefire is, um, you know, is a perfectly reasonable thing to have, um, I think will push towards it. But the problem is, you've got a situation now where the, the, the various actors in this, they're not completely in control of what goes on. If you look at, I've talked about Netanyahu's own position, but we've got the hard right settlers and the mm. hard right par parties in his own um, in his own government. We've also got obviously more liberal uh, opinion in Israel, which is very critical mm. of Netanyahu, but at the same time wants something to be done. And then you've got all the contradictions of 75 years since the Nakba, you know, the huge number of Palestinians in the <coughs> refugee camps all around, all around the Middle East, the huge number of Palestinians diaspora elsewhere in the world. You know, mm. it's a big, big problem. So nobody's really completely in control of what might happen. And in a way, in my more sort of pessimistic, when you look at it in a more pessimistic way, you do start thinking, well, you know, when you look at how world wars start, I mean, world wars don't just start bang, you mm. know. They start with various alliances between, you know, a particular thing that happens in a particular area. If you look at the Second World War, for example, 1939 uh, wasn't a war for the whole world by any means. America and Russia weren't in the war, well, Russia in 1941 and America not till 1943. So two of the biggest powers in the world weren't even involved. But it, eventually it goes to all the European colonies, it goes to... Um, to Russia and, and to the United States, it goes to the Far East, it goes to all these different places. And it, it, I fear that you can see some of these things joining up and that they then become, you know, that people begin to link up these different, mm. these different conflicts with pretty catastrophic results for the mass of humanity. So I think the role of protest and the role of people standing up in solidarity with the Palestinians is incredibly important over this. In 2003, Europe was, was divided over the question of the Iraq war. You had France and Germany opposing it, UK and Spain um, in favour. This time around, it seems like the main European countries are all united in their position. They're all supporting um, the position of the United States, position of, of, of Israel. Um, do you think something's changed? I mean, maybe it's connected to the Ukraine war uh, and the development of NATO in recent years, whereby Europe 
doesn't seem to be able, capable of having an independent foreign policy anymore. It seems to be almost like a vassal of, of the United States. I think, it, I mean, obviously on some issues it does have its own policy, but essentially the, the Ukraine war made a big, big difference to this. But anyway, before that, Europe was moving towards more what they might call coherent or unified defence policy, foreign policy and so on. And it's very clear now that they, they don't really have any independence from the United States in terms of... I mean, I'm sure they don't like a lot of what the United States does, but in terms of... Uh, essentially, Germany was forced to abandon its post-war, post-Second World War reluctance to get mm. to... Im- and, and enforced on them by other countries. I mean, they're still not allowed to have nuclear weapons and so mm. on. And um, they've been forced to abandon that. They, they're doubling their defence spending. So they'll be even more than Britain, which is the highest at the moment in Europe. France, which is a nuclear power, is desperate to sort of keep up in this kind of way. So, yeah, I think there's a, there's a real pressure on people. And even a country like Ireland, which is mm-hmm. a long, long-term neutrality policy, connected to its rejection of imperialism, apart from anything else, is now being sort of coerced into providing some sort of, you know, breaking from that and, and being tied in. Sweden and Finland both join NATO. So, yeah, that's a big, that's a big element of it. And, it's, um, and, you know, Germany now as well is, is one of the most repressive countries over the Palestinians. They've banned a lot of the demonstrations that people want to have over the Palestinians. There's one politician who's in the CDU, which is a you know, mainstream sort of conservative party, it's not a far-right party, who is saying that, you know, people who come to live in Germany have got to support Israel's right to exist. And so they're beginning to, uh, you know, you begin to put all these sorts of demands on people which are really quite dangerous. Mm-hmm. The the Labour Party has um, <coughs> has in some sort of uh, mess over, over this issue in terms of lots of Muslim members in particular are leaving the party. Um, Keir Starmer has visited a, a Muslim centre in South Wales and what Labour put out about that visit was then um, rebutted by the new by the South Wales um, Muslim centre. They said it was a lie to say that you know there wasn't anger at, towards Keir Starmer for what had happened and that sort of thing. So there's an attempt to try to um, do something about the concern amongst Muslim support Muslim previously Muslim supporting um, Labour Labour members Labour voters. Do you think this is a real problem for Labour now, that the position they've got in with the, the Muslim community in particular in, in the UK? I think it's an absolutely dreadful problem for Labour because, um, I mean, firstly, Starmer's position has been an absolute disgrace, you mm. know, for a supposed human rights lawyer to say that it's OK to cut off water and electricity and so on, which everybody knows is a punishment, collective punishment of civilians, which is a war crime. Um for him to say that and to double down on that, really, and for Emily Thornberry to repeat it, David Lammy repeated it, all these people said it. And it's really quite a shocking thing. I mean, it would cost them very little to say, you know, something that you've got to stick with international mm-hmm. law and this isn't, in, this isn't in agreement with international law. So there is, it seems to me, I'm not in the Labour Party, it seems to me there is absolute boiling point among the Muslims over mm-hmm. this perhaps even more so than around the Iraq war mm. in 2002, 2003. 
Um, and Palestine is a huge issue, always has been a huge issue, a sort of humanitarian issue in the in the Muslim community. And people like when it's Ramadan, there's a lot of fundraising for Palestine and all that kind of thing. Um, so this is a big issue. Lots of councillors have resigned. Individual Labour Party members have resigned. I mean, I've heard about loads of these. When Starmer went to the mosque in South Wales, the story I heard was that not a single mosque in London would entertain him coming to visit them mm. in the same way that he did in South Wales. So that tells you, I mean, you know, there's all sorts of different political complexions in different mos mosques, and that tells you something. So I think it's a very big issue for him. Mm. He's too frightened of the Tories to kind of row back, um, but he will try to row back a little bit. More and more Labour MPs are signing this early day motion which calls for a mm. ceasefire, including some who aren't particularly left-wing, like Stella Greasy, but who's the MP for Walthamstow, which will have quite a big well, pro-Palestine um, opinion, mm. as, as well as just among the Muslims. It will be, I guess, you know, three-quarters of the people here, perhaps more, in Waltham Forest will be, um, will be uh, in support of the Palestinians. Um, so yes, I think it's a huge problem, and it it raises a whole number of wider questions about British politics. You've mm. got an election next year. Um, Starmer is already, I mean, he's doing well in these by elections essentially because the Tories are on strike and won't go out and vote Tory, but they're not going out and voting for him for the most part. Um, so yeah, I mean, he can get a landslide, but he's got no. He's got nothing in the bank if he has a landslide. There's no, you know, he's got no personal following. He doesn't have a real base inside the Labour Party, as far as I can see. And when it comes to making any difficult decisions, when he becomes Prime Minister, he hasn't got the capital, the political capital, mm. to do it. And I think that's going to be a tremendous problem. But it may be even before then that people start breaking and standing as independents, and that's already happened in some places, the mayor of Newcastle wasn't selected in his standing as an independent next year. That's not over Palestine, but people will vote for him on that issue because they're so disgusted with Labour. And so I think it's a very, very big issue. So we've seen a lot of changes politically in, in Britain as a result of that. Do you think that part of the explanation for why Keir Starmer has responded to this crisis in the way he has goes back to the Jeremy Corbyn's leadership and the anti-Semitism crisis in the Labour Party at the time, where it became extremely difficult to raise even mild criticisms of Israel um, during that time because of the the kind of culture that, that surrounded that issue in the anti-Semitism crisis. And do, perhaps that explains part of why Starmer feels like he needs to just double down on supporting whatever Netanyahu does, even, as you have said, up to the point of, of starving people of Gaza of, of water and food. Mm. Well, yeah, and also, of course, once you have a definition of anti-Semitism, which in many people's minds includes criticism of Israel, mm. is anti-Semitic, then, of course, when people are criticising Israel in huge numbers, then you get trapped between a rock and a hard place, really. You've got this big movement, big swathe of opinion inside the Labour Party, almost certainly majority opinion inside the Labour Party about having some sympathy and support for the Palestinians. And yet you've got him all the time. You know, the Jewish Chronicle will get onto him, uh, the various, you know, 
self-appointed spokespeople, the people who've, who've done a, a letter, some of the um, uh, Jewish celebrities and so on who've done a letter, Moira, uh, Maureen Lippmann and people like that. You know, you've got the pressure from them. And, of course, he's, he's absolutely terrified that he'll be um, accused of anti-Semitism and that Labour's still anti-Semitic and we haven't dealt with anti-Semitism. Whereas, of course, in reality, the, the decision to adopt the IHRA definition was the it was always going to cause this kind of problem because the, the truth is it is not anti-semitic to um criticize israel in fact it's necessary when they're doing things like this it's a political question you know it's not a kind of racial prejudice question a lot of what we've discussed um you, you don't really hear in the, the mainstream media uh, at the moment in the uk you've seen the reporting of numerous wars now going back over 20 years, uh, you've been a, a, a media commentator on, on many of them. Um, what do you make of the media reporting now? Is, is it getting worse than at the time of the Iraq war and the, the previous wars we've seen? Look, all wars, mainstream media reporting is bad, right? They, I mean, they take their line very much from the military and from the politicians who support the wars and all this kind of thing. But I think... Both with Ukraine and now with Palestine, we've seen a new um, stage of this, really, which there is no, if you listen carefully to what is going on, you don't hear anti-war voices. You'll hear voices from the Palestinians suffering. You know, you'll hear about people, I've lost my family in Gaza, and yeah. that, that's all perfectly valid reporting and so on. But you don't hear the political... When do you ever hear about what is the background to... Why is it called an occupied territory? Why, why are the Palestinians and, and Jews in, in conflict in, the, in this part of the world? Why has that happened? All the different questions you could ask. What is the two-state solution? What is the one-state solution? Uh, do people know, for example, that, that essentially Israel is a state where if you're a Jewish person from anywhere in the world, you have the right to go and live in Israel. If you're a Palestinian who's ancestors were displaced in 1948 you have no right of return do people know that no of course they don't know that they don't know it in any detail from them or certainly not from the mainstream media so yeah i think it's a big problem i think anti-war voices <coughs> and pro-palestine voices find it hard to get an audience and when they do very often it's simply as we were told apologies for putin we're also told apologies for hamas or for terrorism for all this sort of thing and uh, even the big demonstrations you know you see there was a report in the independent which said you know demonstration which is supports hamas or something like that and they had to change it mm -hmm. the headline but that was their first headline now of course 100,000 200,000 300,000 people are not there because they support hamas you know it's just not true hamas are a tiny part of the palestinian population mm. on their own figures you know not not what we have to sort of speculate around so um this kind of elision between you know support for the palestinians and therefore you know support for bad people and for you know for terrorism and all this sort of thing is one that is constantly made and it is a completely false uh comparison talking about the the right to protest we've seen in france pro-palestine demonstrations banned um, Germany, uh, there was even a video footage of a, a vigil being stamped out by German police. 
uh, we've not had that yet in the UK, but we have had Home Secretary Suella Braverman um, threatening uh, the possibility that if you chant from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, that could be cause for them to, to ban protests. Do you think there's uh, the, the right to, to show solidarity with Palestine is, is really under threat? Definitely. It, it's, I mean, we've had a long process of, of this government tightening up on the right to protest, introducing all sorts of completely unacceptable laws that, that restrict people, aimed not mainly at Palestinian protesters, aimed a lot mm. of direct action over um, the environment and so on. So it's all those things that have been going on. But um, what we've got now, um, is it, you know, is it possible to um, be able to wave a Palestinian flag, which well, she's had to retreat on that one, um, but they will still use that. Well, maybe if you're outside a synagogue, it might be regarded as so. Or um, chanting from the river to the sea. Now, I mean, I find this astonishing. Mm. Uh, as a slogan, it, to me, it's always meant the exact opposite of, of being against Jewish people. It always, to me, it's always meant there should be one state where everybody who wants to should be able to live there equally, but not discriminated against because of their religion or because of their race or... or their nationality. So um, I find it astonishing she can even raise this, but she, she's obviously putting big pressure on the police to to harass people, to and, and what it will mean, of course, on the big demonstrations, they're not going to, you know, if Jeremy Corbyn says it or if, you know, somebody says it, they're not going to do anything to them. But it will be the kids in Tower Hamlets or, you know, in Preston mm. or in... Mm. in um, Bradford, who are chanting this, who are the ones who will be criminalised and treated in that kind of way. So, so yeah, it's a very, very serious development. We're also hearing that, um, I mean, for example, in one place, that people are having a demonstration over Palestine and being charged huge amounts of money by the council to close roads and all of this sort of thing. So that's another... You know, there's all these ways that they try to stop protest. And interestingly, all the sort of people who are so keen on free speech, like Andrew Neil and all these, you know, the right-wingers, are all kind of, well, that's okay. Mm. Let's just stop anybody from, you know, waving a flag or say, or even shouting jihad. Now, you might think it's wrong to shout jihad, but it shouldn't really be illegal mm. to, to do that, surely. Mm. To, to shout a word, it just doesn't make sense really does it you know but that's the way they're going to conclude you, you've mentioned a couple of times uh one state solution two state solution biden has said uh you know is is reiterated he supports a two-state solution um but all the time and even now in the west bank we're seeing israeli settlers taking more and more uh, territory um in wake of this crisis what, what is the answer? What, what is the, the, the solution for, for justice for Palestinians? Well, to me, the two-state solution is really dead. I mean, is the honest truth. The two states, what does it mean? It means in Gaza you're in a prison camp. In the West Bank is now completely sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but it's completely sort of, um, settlements are everywhere. You know, they're honeycombed throughout the whole of the, uh, of the West Bank. So there's not the possibility... And there's extreme violence being carried out by the settlers against the Palestinians. So there's not the possibility of a, of a two states. And anyway, I think the whole two states thing 
is the assumption that there is a fundamental difference between Palestinians and Jews and therefore they can't live together. If you think, Muslims and Jews and Christians have lived in the Middle East for hundreds and hundreds of years, by and large without huge amounts of conflict. What has brought the conflict in is the politics, the politics of the State of Israel, the politics of the way in which the whole region has been carved up by imperialism and backed by the imperialist powers, and that's what makes it um, so divisive. So I would like to see, I've always stood for one democratic, secular state where everybody has equal rights, where it's not a religious state. And again, this is, you know, when people talk about Iran, oh God, you know, Iran's terrible <laughs> because it's a religious state. But actually, Israel is a religious state. And, uh, and you know, I don't think that that should be the case. So I think you could have people living together. And it always sounds completely utopian. Mm. But when you actually think about um, and this is true in other places where you've got partition in India and Pakistan and Bangladesh or in Ireland where, you know, and in each case Britain, of course, is heavily involved and the British Empire is heavily involved in all these things. You think, well, what are the fundamental differences between these people? There are obviously differences of culture and religion and so on, but that's true of many, many societies where there's not these, mm. there's not these conflicts. And... Uh, you know, you think, well, how did these come about? They're, they're specifically created and recreated by certain people who want to get a certain outcome and who mm. have a certain agenda. And I think, uh, you know, as a socialist, I think to be able to say that that is not in our interest and that the interest of everybody in the world should be to be able to live in cooperation and relative peace, whether you know, without becoming completely utopian about it, but we should be able to do that. And the way the Middle East has been carved up, of course, leads people in the opposite direction.